Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, our guest is Jamie Keen. Thanks for being on the show, Jamie. Yeah, Whitney, thanks for having me. I've been a listener for several months now and happy to be a part of the podcast. Yeah, thank you for being willing to share your expertise. And nominated as a woman of influence in 2019 by Crew Denver as commercial real estate women, Jamie has over 20 years of experience in Denver's commercial real estate market and is a proud mentor to young women who are making their way into the industry. Thank you for doing that, Jamie. Jamie focuses on the disposition and acquisition of office, medical office, industrial, and mixed-use properties throughout Denver with specific expertise within Denver's Northwest and Boulder County submarkets. She's an MBA graduate and a licensed commercial broker who has earned the coveted MAI designation from the Appraisal Institute. Jamie, welcome to the show. I look forward to just the conversation, I mean, just with your background in this industry. So welcome and you know, give us a little about that appraisal background, maybe what that designation means a little bit, and then how you got into the brokerage side and what your focus is now. And let's dive into a few specific things that I know you're an expert in that's going to help the listener. Yeah, right. So I've been in the commercial real estate industry for going on 21 years now, really got started on the appraisal side of the industry. After I graduated with my MBA, I went into commercial banking and learned really quick. That's not what I wanted to do. However, I did pick up understanding what credit committees go through and and underwriting real estate and really quickly took the classes that I needed to, to go out and become a commercial appraiser. I had to take a step back in order to do that. So the salary that I had at the bank was, was nice and cushy, but I had to leave that to step back and jump into an apprenticeship on the appraisal front. But I knew long-term I had more upside in doing that and taking that step. And it was before I had kids, before I had a mortgage, before I had some of those big life things that really get harder to take those steps back as you go forward. So spent several years as an appraiser, moved up the ladder pretty quickly. Before I knew it, I was managing appraisers. I had other appraisers underneath me. At one point, I was the managing director of Grub Analysis here in Denver. I managed their, I launched and managed their real estate valuation team, their appraisal team here. That Grub Analysis filed for bankruptcy. And unfortunately, my team was left really scattered. And so I was able to find another national firm to move my entire team over. And we really just continued to do what we were doing. I had a book of business. I had a great team of appraisers. And over time, grew that team. I ended up buying one of our competitors. While I was at BBG, we bought one of our largest competitors here in the Denver market. And before I knew it, I was managing over 22 appraisers. And my job had really morphed into a management intensive role. I was getting further and further away from the real estate, further and further away from the deal. You know, I wasn't underwriting real estate anymore. I wasn't writing the appraisals. It, again, it had morphed into really the management intensive. And I lost the joy. I missed working with property owners. I missed working with investors. I, I missed really understanding, you know, the deals. And so I made a decision to get my broker's license and I had to take a year off I had a non-compete that wouldn't let me go because I had reached such a you know high level in my previous company. In order to to move on from them and keep my equity in the company, I had to to do a non-compete. So I did a gap year. Some people do a gap year when they're eighteen or twenty-two. I took my gap year at forty, 
But during that time, I worked on getting my broker's license under my belt, spent some time traveling, you know, reconnecting with my kids and jumped back in in 2018 in the commercial real estate field as a broker. And so now I help real estate investors identify opportunities and go out and, you know, make those happen. I've got you know, investors that look at all property types and really coming out of the appraisal field. I've underwritten multifamily. I've underwritten office. I've done a portfolio as large as $650 million, multi-state portfolio. And I've done the little stuff too. So, you know, everything from single tenant net lease on through. So my real sweet spot now in, in the brokerage world is, is really working on office, medical office and industrial those were the types of assets that I was really attracted to and, and really had fun on when I was appraising. So I've gone back to my core and then working with investors who are trying to invest in those categories. Nice. Jamie, I mean, yeah, what a background. And I wanted to touch quickly on, you know, you leaving the cushy job, as you said, you know, with the bank uh, to pursue that apprenticeship. And, you know, I look back in my own personal story numerous times where, you know, it's like you have to make that hard decision, right? And it seems almost like a step back to most people and maybe even received some criticism, you know, at that time, maybe by family or whoever, I don't know. But you could see a bigger picture there. I just thought you could speak to that just for a minute, you know, to the listener who's thinking, you know what, fixing to have to make a hard pivot if they really want to get into this space or maybe have to leave another, you know, W-2 position that seems really good, quote, you know, to most. Yeah, and it's just, you know, setting yourself up, making sure you can take that, you know, take that step back. So I didn't have any car payments. I didn't have any debt. I really didn't have anything from holding me back. Yeah, the the nice cushy paycheck was nice, but what was I really doing with it? You know, longer term, I had goals to invest in real estate. And I knew, you know, the banking job, it wasn't going to put me in front of those deals. It wasn't going to, I wasn't going to really be in the real estate world and meeting, you know, the, the people that I really wanted to meet unless I made that change. And so the appraisal option really helped me understand how to underwrite real estate. You know, my undergraduate degree was in finance and real estate. So I knew the basics from an academic standpoint, but academics are a little different than the real world and real world application. So going into that appraisal path, I knew would really give me that firsthand experience to, to really understand how deals are put together and um, you know, what it takes to, to cross the finish line. Yeah. I know one way that we briefly discussed before we started recording, just the way some investors are finding opportunities right now are through what's called a sale leaseback. And that's something I know you are experienced in. And I just thought, man, you know, that may be some opportunities for, you know, many of the listeners as well. And I'd love for you to just discuss that, like what that is and how there could be some potential there for some buyers right now. Right. So sale leasebacks are situations where companies are selling their real estate, but they don't need to move out of their facility. So whether it's an industrial property or, or an office building, sometimes there are even doctors who are selling their facilities. They don't need to be real estate owners anymore. And really, you know, we're seeing this in our market, in the Denver market in particular, where owners might have bought buildings for various reasons, you know, call it five, 10, seven years ago, whatever it might be. And we've seen incredible appreciation in our market since that time. And a lot of businesses get to the point where maybe there's not enough depreciation on that asset where it really makes sense for them to own their own real estate. Maybe they can use that money and deploy it, get better returns on that money instead of having that money tied up in their real estate. So, what companies are starting to do now is we're trying to educate companies on the sale leaseback option so that they can use their real estate as a tool, really unlock that equity, take advantage of the market right now. 
without having to move, without having to relocate. And it makes sense for companies who don't need to move. Obviously, if a, if a company has a need to move on or their facility no longer meets their needs, a sale lease back won't work. But for those companies who are who can stay committed to their space for 10 years, 12 years, 15 years, enter into a long-term lease, now investors have an opportunity to invest in that real estate, have a tenant in place who has a solid history, you know, solid performance, has taken care of the building as their own because it's been their own facility and really knows that um, going forward. So we typically structure those as, as triple net leases so that the tenant, the legacy company who's still there, will continue to pay the property expenses going forward. And that triple net lease rate is, is really what the investor gets to take advantage of for the long term. There's no lease up cost associated with it. It's not like buying a building and now you've got to retenant it or, or put a lot of capital into it to secure new tenants, pay leasing commissions, pay tenant improvements. That tenant's already there. That lease is already done. So we're really starting to see a nice uptick in that type of activity right now. And it's a great place for investors to look for just stable cash flowing properties. You know, it sounds like a way for a current owner, you know, or tenant to really harness all the equity that they've gained over many years, right? I mean, then reinvest it and do different things. But because one of my questions and you answered it was, what's going to be the incentive, right? They already own the property, but now they're going to be a tenant. For most, that wouldn't seem like something they want to do. But for many, they may just enjoy being a tenant and now being able to use all that equity to invest it better, right? Like you mentioned, you mentioned educating companies on the sale leaseback option. What are some ways you even, you know, say find those tenant owners, you know, and then also educate them on this option that, you know, and how it benefits them? So right now, I just joined a company called Benchmark Commercial, and they're very occupier-focused and tenant-focused. And so what we're doing now is educating our clients who we might have sold in that building, you know, five or 10 years ago. They're already clients of the company. But now, is, is the real estate truly still working for them in the way that they intended it to when they initially made that purchase? And I had re- referred to depreciation earlier. It's really a conversation that we bring in the CPA and we understand you know, just longer term, it doesn't make sense. So it's educating them and it may not be the right scenario. It might not be the right solution in every case, but it takes a concentrated effort, you know, with their their trusted advisors and their team. And, you know, we come in as the subject matter expert for the real estate component. We take in a consideration of what the accountants are telling them. And we just understand the big picture for them. And really what my background coming from the appraisal side of it is, hey, here's what your building is worth to an investor. This is what an investor will pay for it. Is this something, I mean, do we have equity there that's that's valuable to you? Do you need to buy new equipment for your manufacturing process? Or do you need to invest in upgrading your software? Do you, I mean, what sort of investments do you need to make in your business without having to take on more debt? How can we structure this? And so it takes a lot of concentration and an owner who really wants to understand if it's the right decision for them. But then we pair them up with the investors who are ready to make these investments in the real estate. No, that sounds, I mean, it sounds like a great option for some and thought about, you know, if they have equipment, I mean, it's a massive expense for many companies, right? I mean, just new equipment alone, and that could be a way for them to really get back on their feet and invest in other areas, but investing in their own company, right? And getting new technology or expanding in many areas. Is there a few pros and cons maybe for the current owner or the buyer that you're working with that you're aware of? I would say pros for the buyer, you know, you you typically have a piece of real estate that has probably been well-maintained. If they've been there as an owner, you know, they've, they've probably had pride in, in owning that property. On the flip side, though, maybe they're not, you know, 
experience in owning real estate and maybe things have been neglected. You know, maybe the HVAC system needs replacement. Maybe the roof, you know, there could still be capital expenses. And so we also have, just like you would do in any real estate transaction, you go through a due diligence process. You have your inspectors come out and evaluate the systems. And that all comes into play. And those become negotiable between the buyer and the seller. You know, we'll we'll enter those into the equation as well. So there's still things that can crop up when you're working in these transactions. I think for cons, from a buyer's perspective, you really need to understand the industry that that business is in. You know, is that industry sustain? Is that industry seeing some ups or some downs? So it's almost like you're betting on a horse, right? You're betting on that company. You're putting your money behind them. They're going to be in it for the long haul. Their industry, you know, needs to be on solid footing. They need to, you know, have a good market share within that industry. And so, can things go wrong? Of course, and it can with any tenant. You buy any real estate investment and you have that risk of your tenant may not make it. So going in with some sound underwriting and just understanding the business that, that will be there in that real estate, you know, you've got to take that into consideration. Are there specific asset classes that this works the best with or has been most successful that you've seen? Industrial tends to... We're seeing a lot of industrial deals in this and sell these specs right now. Office buildings are great. We've seen corporate campuses go through the same. Companies are realizing that their money, their capital is better invested in what they do best. They can make a better return on their, their capital doing whatever it is they do than they can having that capital tied up in the real estate. So, you know, if you look at a lot of, you know, national kind of national corporations, they're getting out of the real estate game. They don't need to own their own real estate anymore. They understand that they can do what they do better and have a better return on it. Any other thoughts about just the sell lease back that the listener should know about? I mean, for maybe they're missing an opportunity there before we move on to something else. You know, if you see the terms, I mean, properties will, you know, brokers who are marketing these properties tend to be marketing them as sale lease back. So it's a search term to make sure you're looking for it. If you want to you know, reach out to the brokers in your market, the investment sales brokers, and understand who is really trying to source these up, who's talking to the companies who own the real estate, you know, forge relationships with those brokers. They're the ones in the know. They're the ones talking to the companies. They'll know what's coming online. You know, Some of this stuff gets done off market. If you're tied in with a broker, you have a great relationship and they'll, they'll tune you into some opportunities before they actually get to market. You've got to jump on you know, a scenario where sometimes these things get competitive and the the pricing gets bid up because you've got a lot of hungry capital chasing the same deal. So with so few deals on the market right now, really good, solid investment deals, it does get competitive out there, particularly in our market. For sure. Yeah. Especially in your market. No doubt about it. What about maybe an example of where one of these have gone south or any examples that, you know, of why something at least or a sale leaseback didn't turn out as planned? You know, I don't know of any scenarios where it hasn't turned out. There is a deal. I don't want to, you know, break any confidentiality of, of anything in, in my market, but I am aware of one that sale leaseback was executed several years ago. The company entered into, I think it was a 12-year lease. That company has now outgrown their space. And so they've mm-hmm. recognized that their facility no longer meets their needs, their growth projections, which is great for that company. However, now they have a situation where they need to exit their real estate. And so the investor who holds that investment now, you know, he still has a lease in place. That company is still going to have to make good on the lease. However, now he knows he's going to have a vacant building at the end of this. So that group is trying to find a subtenant. But the space is highly specialized. It's manufacturing and it's, it's you know, built out very specific for their... And so 
at the end of this, the investor is going to have a specialized property with no tenants, but it's still valuable real estate. And it could be, it could be sold to an owner user. He'll, he'll probably still do okay on it. But those situations do happen as well, where companies exceed their growth projections and need to move on. Definitely something to keep in mind. You know, we're so worried about the tenant not doing well, right? You know, and going out of business. But here in that case, they did too well and outgrew it. But then also you brought up another great point there that the building is so tenant specific. When they do move out, what do you have? Or it's still, like you said, it's still valuable real estate, but it's going to be difficult maybe to find a tenant to fill that space. Right. Or maybe they're going to have to divide that space up. You know, it's a 70,000 square foot building. You know, maybe they'll, they'll divide it up into two or three smaller spaces, more bite-sized for some of the smaller tenants that tend to be in this little sub-market. So you got to be flexible just like with any real estate investment. You're never going to have the same piece of real estate you know, look the same, be the same at the end of 20, 30, 40 years. Um, you course, know, over time, things are going to change. So Jamie, when you, you know, you work with lots of operators, no doubt. How do you like to see, say, some of the best operators prepare or be prepared for a downturn? Preparing for a downturn, you know, diversification. I really think, I mean, we see different property types go through different market cycles. There's no magic to it. It depends on the amount of supply in a particular segment of the... So industrial, for example. Our industrial market in Denver has been very strong. We've seen a lot of supply come online. And so now where rents had been growing at, you know, call it 5% a year. Now those rents, you know, if you're underwriting a deal right now and you're plugging in 5% growth factor for rents, that's probably not going to happen. So really understanding kind of bigger picture in your market. But if you're diversified, if you're you know savvy real estate investor and you've got a little bit of industrial, a little bit of office, a little bit of medical office or multifamily, those are all going to hit different peaks and valleys at different times. And so you're trying to even that out. So when when one segment's you know doing great, you might have another segment that's that might be a little sluggish, but they're going to even out over time. Nice. Yeah, it's something to think about, especially for the passive investor, you know, what type of asset classes they're investing in. What about just any predictions that you have over the next six to 12 months just in the real estate market? Yeah, watching real estate interest rates closely. You know, that's always capital is very cheap right now. But I think we're in sort of a bubble with that. I think we will see interest rates start to rise. The lenders that I've spoken with are encouraging their their groups to recapitalize right now while they can, or if they're looking at purchasing, trying to take advantage of this low interest rate environment. Um, no one really expects this to last forever. I mean, I think we, we will see an uptick in that. So as capital gets more expensive, we'll probably see some adjustments to cap rates accordingly as well. So yeah, just keep an eye on those interest rates. And is there a specific place you can watch interest rates that are where you're tracking it? You know, I don't, I personally don't track them in, in any one place. I have relationships with several lenders and interest rates, they change. I mean, whether you're, you're doing recourse or non-recourse, every deal is going to require a slightly different structure. Your amortization, the amount of capital that you have into it invested yourself. I mean, those, those things will all affect interest rates, you know, on a particular deal. So I just stay in touch with my lenders, kind of ask them what they're seeing. And hey, tell me about a deal that you underwrote recently. Where did the interest rate land on that? Why did it, you know, how'd you underwrite it there? And and there's so many elements that go into a particular deal. So what somebody might get for an interest rate on one deal will not necessarily be the right debt structure for another. And it's just really having those relationships with your lenders that can keep you informed as you go. We do the same thing. I just wondered if you had like some kind of special website somewhere where you can see things like that. I like to ask. Like anybody to that too, because you know you might be able to see trends, but right. I think 
girl, I don't want to set anybody up for expectations that, oh, I can get a 3.85% interest rate when they really probably can't do better than four and a quarter given their certain circumstances or property type or, you know, it just, it really, really depends. So yeah, that lender relationship's crucial anyway. So reach out and talk to them, have an excuse to talk again. Jamie, do you have any daily habits that you are disciplined about that have helped you achieve success? I make a point to really nurture my network. And so I'll reach out to somebody in my network on a daily basis. And whether it's, hey, I saw something funny and I thought of you, or hey, let's talk about you know, a recent deal. So when I say my network, these aren't necessarily clients or target clients. They're my referral partners. They're my lenders. They're other brokers. You know, A lot of brokers are, are, want to hold their information close to the chest. And I, I tend to have really robust broker relationships. I want to know what other people are working on. And I want to be able to refer my clients that I can't help to other brokers. I want to understand what their strengths are. So I make it a point daily to just have a touch point with somebody in my network and just stay tuned in. Incredible. Yeah. It just those daily consistent things, right? Like that, right? They help build those relationships and you never know where they're going to go. What about your best source right now for meeting new investors or new buyers and people like that in the business? Honestly, referrals. I was actually looking at my numbers recently. I had a record year last year. I was a top performing producer in my company. And I went back and looked at every single deal. And it was a pandemic year. I mean, it was a year that I thought, man, I'm not going to make any money. We're not going to get anything done. And wow, I surprised myself. But I, I looked at every single one of those and started tracking where did they come from. And over 50% were referrals. They were either referrals from my network or referrals from clients that I'd worked with in the past who had referred me new business. So it really spoke to me that I need to really nurture my referral network and just my network in general, because I'm getting a lot of business from folks who know me and know what I'm capable of. Awesome. I think it's incredible to start getting referrals like that and seeing that happen in your business. And it says a lot, you know, it makes us feel good. I know that for sure. But it's incredible to, to track it, right? Make sure you're tracking it. Otherwise, you don't know what to focus on. But also another point you mentioned there, like focus on the network you already have. And you already said that, you know, once and like how important that is, just the consistency of reaching back out, but nurturing the network that you already have, the email list people. We're so focused on like grow, 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 but then we forget about this growth we already had back here, not doing anything with it. There could be a lot of value there. What about the number one thing that's contributed to your success? The people that I surround myself with. I foster that network. And I. it's funny, when I was an appraiser, I didn't think about network. I, I honestly didn't. I was more, you know, when you're an appraiser, you're kind of a in the commodity business, if you will. You're just a check the box. I mean, you're the appraisers there because they have to be. The lenders require it. So I didn't realize I love people. I had always stayed in touch. I have a natural curiosity for deals and people and what they're doing next. And so when I moved over to the brokerage side of the business, I looked at all the appraisals I had done for the last you know three or four years and called every single one of those property owners and just said, Hey, I'm making a change. This is what I'm doing now. I'm familiar with your property. I've appraised it in the past. What are you working on now? What's next? And so that natural curiosity of, of how's their real estate doing? How are they doing? What are they, what are they moving forward with? I basically started nurturing a network that I didn't even know that I had. So again, it's just it's just the power of, of the people you surround yourself with. How do you like to give back? Right now, I'm on my third year of mentoring for Crew Commercial Real Estate Women, our mentor program here in the Denver market. So I get paired with every year I get paired with a young woman in commercial real estate who is really trying to get her career launched. 
I've been fortunate the last three women that I've worked with have all come from out of market. So they come here to Denver. They don't know anybody. They're just trying to get their, their feet underneath them. And so I basically open up my Rolodex and make introductions for them and help them get grounded here in our market and really help get their careers kick off. Wow, what a great way to get started. Man, <laughs> that's incredible. What the guess, crew, Denver, the commercial real estate women. I hope there's other networks like that in other cities too, or for guys as well, because that's incredible just to come in and get to work with someone like yourself. Shameless plug here too. Men can be members of crew. We do have several gentlemen who are a part of our organization. We don't discriminate. We're all are welcome. And so the few men that aren't intimidated by a room full of women, I mean, we welcome them in. They actually get a lot of attention. It's like, hey, they're, you know, they're allies. So yeah. Cool. Well, thank you for sharing that, Jamie. I appreciate just your time and sharing, being willing to share your expertise and really even focus on the sale lease back, you know, option, because that's not something we hear about on here very often. So it's great for the listeners and myself to just hear somebody that's experienced in that. And uh, hey, maybe some deals over here, you know, with this other type of option that you should be considering. And so appreciate just you being willing to just share pros and cons about that from both sides of that coin, whether it's the tenant or whether it's the buyer. But how can the listeners get in touch with you and learn more about you? So I am with Benchmark Commercial Real Estate. My email address is jamie, J-A-I-M-E-E at C-R-E benchmark.com. I'm on LinkedIn, Jamie Keene. Again, J-A-I-M-E-E. Last name is spelled K-E-E-N-E. I'm on Facebook as well. And so I'm pretty easy to find. If you Google me, I'll probably pop up in a lot of social media places. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show, brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate, while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.